Well, good morning, Ascent. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Maurice. I am one of the pastors here on staff. It is quite an amazing time being together. I love being together all in one space, especially in person. You have probably heard that multiple times, but it is just that beautiful, and I love how we come together as a community. I also want to shout out to those of you who are online or watching, wherever you may be. We, uh, got an, I got an email this week that somebody was down in Albuquerque, and they were watching from all the way in Albuquerque, and I just want to shout you all out that are tuning in and checking out our conversations this, uh, for the past couple of weeks now. Well, listen, I want to do a few things, knock out a few announcements, and then I'll get into today's topic. Uh, Last week, we went into one of the core values here at Ascent um, with being around racial justice. And one of the core values, not just Ascent, but one that we see very, very embedded in Scripture. And many of you have emailed me, many of you have talked with me, many of you have asked me questions around what is my next step? What does it look like to lean into this? The conversation is so vast. I have so many different uh, opinions. I have so many different thoughts around it. I land this way, but I know that some people land this way. And there's a lot of questions around it, and I totally understand that. First and foremost, you got to recognize that it is a marathon and not a sprint. So I totally understand where you are. But number two, we want to actually be a part of helping with that next step and be facilitating conversations of what it looks like in this area of racial justice. So one of the things that we'll be doing this Tuesday, I believe it's Tuesday, this Tuesday, um, we'll be detailing, actually having and hosting a conversation here at Ascent. And we'll be conversa- uh, having a conversation around what we see this value and how we see this value in scripture, how it's played out in culture. You can bring your questions. You can bring the things that you're wrestling with. Had someone come to me and ask me so many different things like, you brought this up and this is something that's on my heart. So we want to host that. We want to facilitate that. So if you have any questions on our main page of our website, you can go on there and you can sign up. And you can look into that. You can find out what it is that you'll need. We'll send a few resources, not long at all. It's uh, an article and a, a couple YouTube videos, nothing past 14 minutes, just bite size. We're not going to throw the whole book at you, all right? Um, but if you want to do that, that is uh, for you. Also, real quickly, we want to take an approach to this in a very structural way as well when it comes to racial justice. And so around this, uh, as, as, as a church community, we will be searching for a small group of people um, to form a committee, so to speak, a racial justice committee. We did this, and the heart behind this is because we want to be in the forefront of this. We want to actually be uh, ongoing conversation, not reactionary, but actually proactive in this conversation. So if we're going to say this is a value of ours, we got together and we started thinking to ourselves, well, how do we do this in a structural approach? So there'll be people that if you're interested in that and you want to apply for that, if you want to look into more of that, of being a part of that small uh, justice committee, you can reach out to me and anybody on staff and we can give you further directions. But that's what's on our hearts right now. That's what's on our minds. That's what's something that's kind of stirring us up because we want to continue to be proactive and not reactive towards that. All right. Well, listen, today we continue in our very last week of our series called Unfollow. This is a series that we've been in for a couple of weeks now, and we started to look at the life of Jesus and why people decided to unfollow him. Many people started to follow him for some reasons, but then, for whatever reason, they decided to unfollow. They decided to leave Jesus and his following. So, this week is no different We looked at these past couple of weeks, and what we are noticing is that it is time for us as a church, as a community, to be very clear about our values, our values that we see very rooted in Scripture. And so this this next upcoming subject, we want to be on the forefront of. We want to lead out in these conversations. For the past couple of weeks, I've been noticing myself that these are conversations, once again, which I mentioned last week, 
is that when we don't normalize it, it gets criticized. And if we're going to say that this is a value of ours, what does it look like to normalize that conversation? Because if we're going to normalize it, that means we're going to lead out in those conversations. Because when we don't lead out in those conversations, people begin to think that we are jumping on a bandwagon. We're taking what we see in society, and now we decided to do it for likes and applause and pat on the back. But actually, we want to be a church that's on the forefront of these. So this week is no different. I want to read a scripture for you, though, and I want to see if you catch what this week's topic is going to be about. I'm not going to give me give it to you yet. I'm going to read the passage, and I want to see if you can catch on to what this week's topic is going to be about. This week, we're in John chapter 4. Uh, if you were here last week, it may look familiar. Here we go. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sakar near the field of Jacob, gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and you who, are, who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Did you catch it? Did you see what we're talking about today. Maybe you didn't. But I highlighted the same verse that I brought up last week, the same story of Jesus and him saying he had to go through Samaria, even though there were other routes outside of Samaria, but he had to go through Samaria. And he has an inter interaction with this uh, conversation with a Samaritan woman, and he has this long conversation. They go back and forth. And long story short, she goes into an, a village and the Bible says that many people believed Jesus that day because of her testimony, because of what she said. But there's an interaction there. And I bring this up again because I want us to become aware of what Scripture says. I want us to see how Scripture is speaking to us. When Jesus says he had to go through Samaria, not only did he encounter a Samaritan, he encountered a woman. And in Jesus' time, in Jesus' culture, this was very counterculture. This was not the norm. Not only was she Samaritan, which, to give a quick recap, a Samaritan is one that they would intermarry people from other cultures. They rejected Jewish scripture. They were considered lesser because of their race and their culture. They were hated. They were marginalized. Some, one scholar puts it, they were mongrel Jews, both in blood and religion. These were people who were looked down upon, and Jesus says he has to go to Samaria so he can have this conversation. But it wasn't just with a Samaritan, but it was with a woman. Today, if you haven't caught on yet, what we talk about is we want to talk about the value that Jesus places on women, their voice, their presence, and their ministry. We want to talk about what it means to live like Jesus did when it comes to this conversation of biblical gender equality. Now, once again, Maurice, as you can see, is one for hot topics because I am once again 
going into an area I am well aware. People get a little riled up around. People get a little triggered about. But it's also one that I see that is faithful to Scripture and that we as a church, we want to be very clear as it relates to our values. You'll see later on in this message why this conversation matters, but that's exactly what happens. That sometimes we can get to a place where we kind of shrug. I found myself tempted many times during my thought process, during my uh, uh, researching and during my sermon preparation. I found myself tempted to kind of shrug in the sense of like, why? I know you said you're going to talk about this, Maurice, but this is the first time you've ever done it in sermon form. And then now I'm getting thought to myself of like, what, else, what, what, what needs to be said? I found myself tempted in a space of like, what, is there, is there anything else? Sort of just this kind of shrug mentality of like, I'm wondering why. Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? Why did it have to be a woman that he had a conversation with? Why did this conversation matter so much? Here's what I want to lead out on today. I simply want to speak from a place of values. I want to speak from a place of joy, from a place of what we are excited about here as a church and what we are on mission about. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to get into this mudslinging contest or mudslinging uh, of fight and battle around, if you're Bible nerds, egalitarian and complementarian. I don't want to get pigeonholed into this fight around what hierarchy means in the Bible and what equality means and just these different views and just kind of you know, throw mud at each other, at the, uh, the other side and kind of push, you know, push the person down so that my voice can be raised up. That, I don't want to get pigeonholed into that today. I, I simply want to speak from a place of values. I want to speak from a place of recognizing where we stand as a church. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't let this conversation get hijacked. Don't let our time together get hijacked by things that you hear, things that you are bringing into this. I did it last week. I'm going to go ahead and do it again. I'm going to go ahead and bring up all the triggering things, the things around feminism, womanist, feminist, conversations around uh, gender equality, conversations around equal pay. Like, I want to just go ahead and put it all out there right now, whatever your thoughts may be, because I don't want you to let this conversation get hijacked. I want you to see why Jesus had to go through Samaria and what we extract from that as a church and why we value women's presence, their giftings, their voice, and their ministry, and what we'll do to continue to lead in that way. One of the things that I wrote down is that what we name, what we don't name, and even what we misname is all ways that we disciple each other as a community. What am I saying? The things, how we mold, how we're shaped as a community, how we are continuing to live after like God and like Christ, the things that we name and the things that we don't name shape us. They mold us. So today we name that. We name that as a church, we fully believe in the equality of women being made in God's image. And you would assume that it's something they're like, yeah, duh, Maurice. But later on in this message, you'll see that it's not so easy. It's not so, yeah, of course. So the same way that this week I had to be mindful of my shrug, I want you to be mindful of yours. Because what we see in this story from today is that Jesus, he didn't just shrug. He didn't just ignore. He didn't just go around. 
had a conversation with someone today, and they're just like, man, this is hard. And I'm like, yep, it is. But what Jesus didn't do was avoid. He had a way about himself of leaning into this conversation. I want to have an honest moment. I don't want you to leave me hanging here saying, I know sometimes you want to fold your arms and just sit back and listen. I'm going to need some participation, all right? Give me a head nod at least. Yes? Okay, give me a head nod. All right. Listen, I want to do a quick one. This isn't for any judgment because this past week I started to recognize myself and I raised my hand myself this morning as one. And I began to think to myself like, man, how many times have I heard a sermon geared towards this particular, in particular, not something that was mentioned and thrown out, but a particular sermon geared towards this topic on a Sunday morning. I know that there's going to be uh, Bible studies and that there can be a women's conference. You probably heard something like this at, but on a Sunday morning, this sort of talk, this talk geared towards this topic. Now, don't leave me hanging. How many of you heard, have heard this on a Sunday morning, a talk geared towards this particular topic? This particular topic on a Sunday morning. I got, all right, I got a few, I got a few. I think it's interesting for us to look around at those hands um, because it goes to our value of something like this being normalized, something like this being talked about, something like this being named. I wanna start our time off together by telling a simple story. My dad, uh, when I was growing up around 2006, 2005, uh, he got a Harley Davidson, one of those midlife crisis things. He started getting him Harley Davidson. So he got a Harley Davidson and uh, he was really excited about this. He, you know, he got painted. It was the whole nine. I mean, he went all out for it. He got some different custom handlebars. He had, he had this whole like music kit to it. So every time you like heard James Brown, you were like, dad's coming around the corner, right? Like he's coming up, rowling that thing and he's just going for it. So he was all excited about this. He had it for a couple years. And there was one in particular time that he came through this gate. He came through this gate, and as he was coming through this gate, he was going probably less than 10 miles per hour. It wasn't one of those, like, on the freeway at 80 miles, and he was being reckless. He was coming through this gate, and as he was uh, going through, he's on a street, and a dog runs right underneath his, uh, his uh, Harley Davidson. He's less than 10 miles per hour. As he's going, it throws him in the air, and it threw him in the air, and he came crashing down, and it shattered everything in the knee. I mean, anybody who's like a, a doctor or anything, everything that's in this area shattered, gone. I remember having to go and he called me and he says, I'm around the corner. I need somebody to pick me up. I need somebody to do this. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I had to go. And I remember putting my dad in the car and I remember like grabbing this noodle and putting it in the car as well. From that day forward, my dad, you can't keep my dad down too long, so he begins to walk, and he was started in a wheelchair, then he started on a cane, and now my dad has a plate within his knee. And he, you won't really catch him because he's smooth, right? So I'm going to go ahead and detail this for you. You won't really catch him, but he has this limp, right? So he has this limp. Normally, if you, like, catch him around the house, he'll do this, right? He'll do this. But if you catch him on the street, he'll kind of have, like, a little, like, you know, a little lean... He'll make it a little more, because he don't want nobody to know what's happening. So he'll kind of like have a little, little rock with it, a little lean, you know what I mean? But it's a limp. So if you look closer, you're like, wait, what's happening? Like, what's wrong with your knee? My nephew, growing up, he couldn't be more than one years old, one and a half years old. And it was one particular day, we saw my nephew around the house, and my nephew starts to walk funny. And we assumed that, like, something was wrong. We, I mean, he's just walking around the house. He's coming downstairs. Now, he don't, have no, he don't have no swag with it, right? So he's just hobbling around. He's not smooth with his. So we were like, what is happening? What's going on with my nephew? 
And we're sitting in this moment. We're, I mean, we thought something was wrong. I mean, we were trying to like bend his knee, like legs and look around. I mean, my mom's a nurse. We're doing all these different things. Lo and behold, we begin to see that he was only mimicking his grandpa. He was only modeling his life, his leg, after his grandpa's leg. And he did exactly what his grandpa did. I bring up that story because it is my concern that if we're not careful with this conversation, if we aren't intentional about this conversation, what will happen is that there will be generations after us that begin to limp along as if that was the norm, as if that is okay, as if we normalize dysfunction, as if there's not been hurt in this area towards a particular gender. Today, as we detail this conversation, we want to be a church that values this so much so that there's young ladies that look upon our stage, that young ladies that look upon our community and recognize that they don't have to limp, that they don't have to navigate this world in a certain way just so that they can fit in. Because what Jesus shows us in this story is that their story mattered. Her story mattered. Why did Jesus have to go to Samaria? Once again, I told you last week, he didn't have to do anything, but he had to go to Samaria to talk to this Samaritan woman. In that time, in that culture, that's two strikes right there. But he had to talk to this woman because her story mattered. Jesus listens, and what he shows us is that stories matter. Not just our, any story, but all of our stories matter. And it's interesting to me that he shows us what it looks like to listen. I wrote this quote down from Michael Nichols. I'll read it in your hearing. It says, the essence of good listening is empathy, which can be achieved only by suspending our preoccupation with ourselves and entering into the experience of the other person. The essence of good listening is empathy. Around this conversation, we have to be mindful of people's stories because no one story is alike. And the moment that we begin to try to label, the moment that we begin to try to put people in different compartments and categories, we are missing the nuance of a person's story. We're missing out on what they have shown in their lives. And for me this week, I had to pick up a phone and call a few people so that I can get close to these stories because, once again, I am a male. And for me, some of the things that I hear is so opposite of what I face, so opposite of what I go through. But I want to hear what these stories look like, what it looks like to lean into another person's stories because Jesus did something very countercultural. And if we don't listen, if we don't have the empathy to enter into another person's stories, once again, I got to make it very clear and I have to keep pushing into this. Agreeance is not the goal. I'm not trying to get you to agree on this topic. Well, Maurice, I stand over here. Maurice, I'm a little traditional. Maurice, I'm a little bit over here on this side of things. Well, that's fine. In this room right now, we have people across the spectrum. But my question is, do we have people across the spectrum listening to one another? Do we have people across the spectrum that have the essence of listening, which is empathy for one another? 
Because once again, this is one that we can get into all of our emotions and begin to just throw out whatever we feel in these different talking points, or we can do what Jesus did. In a very subversive way, he enters into this woman's story, and what we see is that Jesus shows us that all people are image bearers, equally called, equally called to lead, and equally to rule over creation. We see this in a story of Jesus and a woman named Mary. I'm going to give you a quick little synopsis of this story. And Jesus is sitting in this house, and Mary, there's a story of Mary and Martha. If you're kind of Bible nerds, you hear it. Sometimes we talk about it in the way of one was busy and one wasn't. But this story, when you really lean into it, you'll begin to see that Mary is a woman that comes and sits at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says that she begins to listen, listen to him. Martha gets upset because she's doing all the things in the kitchen. She's trying to figure things out. She's trying to set things up. And she looks at Mary and says, what are you doing? This isn't supposed to be. Mary, I mean, excuse me, Jesus stops Martha and says, Mary has chosen the good thing. And this will not be taken from her. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a Bible context here. Mary is in a posture of a disciple, sitting at the feet of a rabbi. Women were not allowed to sit and listen in a posture of a disciple at the foot of a rabbi. Mary, whatever courage she builds up in this moment, decides to press into an area even though she may not be accepted, even though culture says that she's less than, even though she's faced things where she's been oppressed. Because it is without a doubt in Jesus' time, women were oppressed it was misogyny that was running rampant, patriarchy that was running rampant. And Jesus faces this thing in a very subversive way. And what he does in this moment is, this is what he, as simple, right? Simply put, this is what Jesus says in this moment. She's supposed to be here. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of the disciples looking at this woman do something that was, could in many ways put her life at risk, in many ways cause her to lose her reputation in many ways, cause her to be marginalized. The disciples are looking upon, and Jesus stops Martha and says, she's supposed to be here. When it comes to this particular topic and how we lean into the value, Jesus amplified women and their value, their voice and their ministry and their presence. And I think it's very important that we detail that he amplified those things. What we don't do and what we in our community, what we're not attempting to do is give women their voice, give women their presence, give women their value. Let me go ahead and stop you right there. Women already got their voice, boo. (laughs) Women already have that ministry. Women already have a presence. Women already have that value. It is just our duty to amplify, to shed light on, to highlight, to show what it means to live into this way. That's already there. We don't give that to them. We're going to do exactly what we did last week. We're going to have a cross-cultural moment. Just nudge your neighbor and say, give the brother amen. Give the brother amen. Give the brother amen. We don't give that to a woman. That's already there. That's already embedded. That's exactly what it comes when it means an image bearer of Christ. They're wired the way that they are because that's how God made them. So we don't step in and say, I'm giving a woman their voice. No, 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 that's already there. How do we amplify? How do we highlight? How do we, what does it look like for us to do what Jesus did and say, she's supposed to be here? Yes. This is what a calling looks like. Amen, somebody. Yes. 
This is what it looks like when it means to live into a calling. That ministry is already inside of you. If I could talk to you for a second, woman, that ministry is already inside you. Your voice is already there. And I don't know what it means, and I don't know what happens, and I don't know what it, I want to be careful in this moment of what it may have took to get to this place where you are and the things that may have silenced you. But I just want to encourage you that there's a beauty in living for Christ and being in a freedom where Jesus says this is what matters. This is what it looks like for us to come together in a very harmonious way to be in one another, to be, have a mutual respect, a mutual submission, and a mutual respect and love for one another. Not I'm above you and you're less than me. Not I need to fight for control so that I can feel like I'm in charge. But a mutual, a mutual love, exactly what we see in Scripture. When Paul details and he says, there is neither Greek nor Jew, there is neither male nor uh, female, we are all one in Christ. Wherever the gospel, wherever the message of Jesus, wherever the presence of Jesus went, there went liberation as well. Wherever Jesus walked, wherever the gospel went, there was liberation. And I can guarantee you, I I know, I know, for people who have done some study, people who have been in this space for a little bit, I totally understand, and I can hear you in my spirit right now. There are very problematic things within the text, within Scripture. Yep, the pastor just said that. But not enough to the point where we just take something out of context and therefore we begin to weaponize it. There's things there that we have to wrestle with. And if you look back on a first century text, if you look back on a text written thousands of years ago and you don't have a problem with your 21st century eyes, I don't know where you live in. Of course, there's going to be some things where it's like, well, why would they do that? What do they mean? Women, wait, wait, slave this, wait, what is, why would that? There's things that will cause us to have some pause and that's okay. But I encourage you to stay right in that midst of that tension Because wherever the gospel of Jesus went, wherever Jesus' message went, so went liberation. Jesus shows us that her story matters, that she's supposed to be here. But number two, he shows us, and he had to go to Samaria to reclaim her narrative. What do I mean by this? She saw the faith of Jesus as something to stray away from, not to draw close to. She says that you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. She says, you worship this way, we worship this way. It was something that she saw as to push away from and not to draw close to. And I want to slow down here because it is in this moment that I begin to hear stories of other women and their experience. And the space that I am familiar with is within the church. And I slow down at this moment because in the church, as amazing as we are and as awesome as we are, we are people at the end of the day. And we jack things up. And we have a way of messing things up. We have a way of hurting people. We have a way of doing things in the name of God and yet causing hurt and trauma. And I want to leave space because what I see Jesus showing us in this reclaiming of her narrative is that we can be big enough to recognize the areas where we mess up. This area of gender equality, whether it's in scripture, whether it's in church, 
which I believe in my own opinion that the church is a, just a microcosm of what can take place in society. Because if we have men and women within the church who call themselves faithful to God and faithful to Scripture who mess up in this area, then lo and behold, I can only imagine what happens in society. So when Jesus reclaims this narrative, what we see and what I feel convicted in this moment is a moment to stop and repent, a moment to stop and lament, a moment to stop and recognize there is true church hurt in this moment that people have faced. And we look at society and we look at all these different terms that are thrown around. And I don't, once again, I'm not, I don't want to get into those things, but what I see people crying out for is some sort of justice, some sort of equal playing field. When we hear things like Me Too, when we hear things around feminists, all of these different things, I see a crying out for equality. And it's interesting that in the church, a branch that has come off of all of these things is church too. I don't know if you've heard that before, but there are a lot of people who have been hurt. Why am I bringing this up? Because I want to detail a few stories for you. As I got on a phone call this week and I began to talk to a few people, in my moments of wanting to shrug, in my moments of wanting to kind of like, well, what is this topic all about? Why is there a need for this subject? Why is there something that needs to go on? I kind of got in myself kind of figuring this out, trying to get a little bit close of like, well, what we don't kind of push, you know, what these agendas and these different things that we see and woman and I don't need no man and all that. We, we don't, we, that's not where we're here for. That's not this sort of mentality that we're aiming at. So I'm, I'm trying to focus and trying to figure out what is it. And then I got on a call and I heard from other respected women in my life. When eulogizing my mother, I was told to do it from the floor because I don't ever deserve to be in a pulpit. During my ordination, I was asked, do I know what it takes to always dress conservatively? Because if you're going to be ordained, that's what you're going to need to do. It's really hard to be something, Maurice, when I've never seen it done before. I've never seen anyone like me in that space. Often I've been made to feel small because I don't voice things like my male counterparts. Maurice, next time you are in a meeting, look around the room to see who gets all the airtime. Someone told me that I can't hear anything you are saying because you are a woman. Another person told me, some people saw me speaking they literally turned their chairs around until I stopped speaking. Not got up and left the room, but turned their chairs around, stayed in the room until I stopped speaking and turned their chairs back around because they couldn't listen to those things from a woman. Someone asked the pastor, could they take communion separately because they didn't want to take it from a woman because I was serving communion that Sunday. I'm doing everything as my male counterparts have the same degrees and never considered for a raise because I was told, don't you want to stay at home with the kids? Stories from multiple women in my moment of shrugging and trying to figure out, well, what really is in this umbrella 
that I need to lean into. And then the story started rolling in. And then this true church hurt started rolling in. Can I detail for you before our time ends what it looks like? I'm going to show you a few quotes from faithful men and women of God within church world who have progressed our theology, our mindset, people that we quote today because they were foundational to the shaping and forming of Christian world. Clement of Alexandria, if we can have those slides, every woman should be filled with shame that she is a woman. Tertullian, women are the devil's gateway. Chrysotom, God maintained order of each sex by dividing the business of life into two parts and assigned the more necessary and beneficial aspects to the man and less important inferior matter to the woman. Augustine, the woman together with her own husband is the image of God, but when she is referred separately, which regards the woman herself alone, then she is not the image of God. Martin Luther, heard this name before, the one who had a big, big uproar of his uh, uh, 95 thesis, his approach towards what was going wrong with the church, his critique of how we were mishandling God's word. He says, girls begin to talk and stand on their feet sooner than boys because weeds always grow up more quickly than good crops. John Calvin Since God was thinking of man, it certainly follows that the woman is only an accessory. And why? Because she was only created for the sake of man. She must therefore direct her own life toward him. When we talk about hurt in the church, when we talk about, this is centuries ago. I I just want you to catch this. What women have had to face as relates to their voice, their presence, and their value under leadership of men who are moving the faith forward, but yet calling a certain gender half an image bearer. This is a cause for pause. This is a cause of recognizing the things that we have messed up on, the things where we have gotten it wrong. And if we aren't careful, if these faithful people who I, who have shaped my understanding of God and who he is, if they have missed the mark, if they have misstepped in this area, how foolish are we to think that we couldn't be in that same space? I bring these up in this moment not for shaming, not for male shaming and all this other stuff. Look, I'm proud to be a man. I'm all man, 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 right? I get it. This is what I'm not, that's not what I'm not talking about right now. What I'm talking about is the hurt that people have faced under this sort of mentality. And for us as a church, what we are excited about, once again, what we are leading out in when it comes to the values of women, their voice, presence, and ministry, we're excited about this. Because sexism is sin, a sin that the greatest women and men of faith wrestled with, 
a sin that the early church wrestled with, a sin that the disciples wrestled with, a sin that our nation wrestles with. Let us not be fools to think that we have arrived and that we should not join the same fight so that we don't fall into that category. I got two things that I want to make reference to and I'm out of your way. Ladies, for those of you who have been called aggressive, keep being assertive. For those of you who have been called bossy, keep leading. Those of you who have been called difficult, keep telling the truth. For those of you who have been called too much, keep taking up space. For those of you who have been called awkward, keep asking tough questions. The world needs your voice, your ministry, and your presence. And may we all be in a space to recognize that there is something inside of you. And as a church community, why we have female leadership, why we have female pastors and uh, the, whole, the whole gamut, whatever it looks like. If a male could do it, a female could do it. If a female could do it, a male could do it. Why we live into this value is because we know that there is a generation that's looking and recognizing, can I be that same thing? But if I only see men, Maurice, it's hard for me to see myself in that. Men, let us call out sexism. When we see it, hear it, and sometimes say it. There are things in this moment that as I lean into this conversation, recognizing, Maurice, you need to be aware of what you say. As I try to become more and more like Christ, and I try to shrug it off into this uh, boy's moment, Maurice, maybe you don't need to say that. May we be ones who are leaning into the conviction that the Holy Spirit gives us so that we can be more and more like Christ. Let us call it out when we see it, when we hear it, and let us be very aware when it's happening with inside of us. Jesus goes into Samaria. He had to go into Samaria for her story to reclaim her narrative. And last but not least, because of spiritual formation. As the band is making their way to the stage, I bring up spiritual formation because whether it's last week or this week or last week around racial justice or this week around the value of women equally called and equally sent into this world, when we begin to engage this topic, when we begin to lean into topics of faith, topics like these that impact people's lives, you can best believe that you are being shaped more and more into who Christ is. Racial reconciliation is spiritual formation. Gender equality and leaning into that value is spiritual formation. People have come up to me in the last couple of weeks and asking, I, I, wonder, I wonder if I can find my space here, but, but I'm in this, I call myself this. I wonder if there's any room for me. Is there a God that finds room for me? But Because I, when I look at scripture, I see misogyny and I see these different things. Well, when we do not reclaim our voice as a church and we decide to be so heavenly bound that we don't talk about anything that impacts our world, when we grow silent, people begin to see maybe the church is just silent on these things. These two topics, as I end my time, our values of ascent, our values that we'll draw the line in the sand and say that we're very clear on, that we want to bring lots of clarity to. It is our hope that in 10 years from now, 15 years from now, that 
even shorter than that, five years from now, whatever that looks like, we are so active in these areas that sometimes you get tired of it. You, you know you're talking about something enough when people are starting to get tired of, yes, Maurice, this, yep, we got it. Like, we heard it. He had to go through Samaria. You said it again. Five years from now, 10 years from now, things where you can walk into our space and you can recognize it's, a, it's something that you just feel. It's something that you can physically begin to see. Because of whether it's leadership or whether it's their neighbor or whether it's people that are in this room, you can begin to see, oh my goodness. There's unity here. There's reconciliation in this room. There's some equality when it comes to gender here. Like you'll smell it in the air five years from now. It's just like, woo! Smell that unity in this place? You, you smell a little bit of that oneness? What is that? You just nudge your neighbor. It's like, man, that's smelling a little scent of reconciliation in here. I can see it all over the place. I can feel it in this room. There's values that are beginning to ooze out of our community because we are so clear on what God has called us to do. And yes, you may be in a space where you're in a shrug moment right now. I get that. And I get the journey that you're on. Maybe you're in a space where I mean, yeah, Maurice, of course, it's cool, life is good. I understand where you may be. And I understand that that may be something that you're on fire and you're burning for right now. That's not what I'm asking for. I just want you to know and want you to believe and recognize that you're a part of a community that holds space for these conversations because we want to be on the front end. We want to be on the front side. We want to be as a proactive church and not a reactive church when it comes to our values. And it's our values because we see it being God's values. I brought up all of those passages and those scriptures. I'm going to read one scripture for you that God says, and I'm going to pray and get out of your way. All of those men and women, they said those, all those horrible things about women, but God says this right here. Let us make mankind in our image. If I can have that last verse on there. In our likeness so that they may rule. This is Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Tertullian said one thing. John Calvin said another thing. But what did God say? From the very first page, we see the emphasis that we are all image bearers. And that means that we are all worthy. God's love, God's calling, God's ministry. Since if you have any questions, if this is something that you want to have conversation about, here's my encouragement to you. Don't unfollow. Ask questions. Sit in the discomfort, no matter where you may be coming from. Because this is what we are called to do. This is what we feel convicted about. Let us pray. God of the Samaritan woman, God of Mary, God of Martha, God of Deborah, God of Sarah, we come to you in this moment thanking you for calling every single human being, for loving every single human being, for 
accepting every single human being and valuing every single human being. We sit under this moment right now, lifting up your name because you've been faithful through the ages. You've been faithful and consistently amplifying every single voice. And God, we thank you for all of who you are. And may we be so convicted when we fall short in this area of equality. That you pick us right back up and you put us right back on that road knowing that you're with us and we may not be perfect, but we're leaning into this. God, I have not arrived and I fall short every day, but I thank you. I thank you, Father, for all that you do and all that you are bringing us into because it is the start of an era. It is a start of a season that we'll be proactive and not reactive. In Jesus' name I pray.